0: Amen. Kids, you're dismissed off to class, and uh, the rest of you can open up to Luke chapter 8. Uh, we just had our middle schoolers um, and some of our young adults off at middle school camp this week, and uh, I'm just here to tell you, you guys have um, amazing middle schoolers and amazing college students. Uh, I got to join sort of halfway through, and it was really fun just to see the team doing what the team does. It's invisible to, to most of the rest of the church. Uh, But we just had an incredible time up there and um, relationship building. God was moving. Uh, Lindsay brought us the word from uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So it was was really, really cool. We're in Luke chapter 8 and Luke is a doctor. Uh, a family physician. And so as he rolls out the story of Jesus, it's the only one of the four gospels that he rolls it out in a chronological way. He does it with the eyes, the brain, the heart of a family physician. So there's different things he calls out uh, that are different than others. Chapter six uh, was a sermon that Jesus preached. Chapter 7 was Jesus' application. It was him living out what he was talking about. Uh, In essence, he was making house calls. uh, and He wasn't only healing physical ailments, uh, but he was speaking to spiritual ailments, emotional things, intellectual questions that we have as well. And now in chapter 8, it's Jesus on tour. Uh, He has his entourage with him, and he's going through cities and towns alike. And Luke is not only showing us what he taught to the crowds, but he's giving us a peek at sort of backstage, what he's saying to his inner circle. Today what we're going to see in the text is that Jesus is driving home a key foundational truth that changes everything in your life. That's a really big statement. That sounds like clickbait on on the web, right? Like, click here. This will change everything in your life. I wrote this early in the week. I've thought about it all week. I just edited it again this morning. I left it in as saying that the key that Jesus is driving home will change everything in your life. I don't think that's overstatement. It's looking with perfect vision, At how you listen. So we are going to look at how we listen this morning. If you haven't figured this out yet, God is both engineer and poet. I grew up in a home with four boys. My dad was an engineer at Lockheed. All three brothers went into math, science, numbers type fields. I was the oddball. I took art class, I sang I acted I drew I did all kinds of different things I was the ugly ducking in more than ways than one wasn't I mom mom's mom knows she's here with me And what I got to see in my family was this is that god is an engineer and to hear my dad speak speak about the word of god It was amazing to see even the word of god just fit together creation fit together, but he's also poet I think in America, we tend to lean more toward math, science types types of, of things than, than the arts. If you are not given to poetry, if you are not given to metaphor and art, I would say this, develop that part of your thinking so that you can understand God more. Some of you are the reverse, and you think in those terms, and you need to, uh, you need to think in some more engineer-type ways. Um. A couple years ago, I began reading some poetry as part of my quiet time. This isn't normal for me. I didn't naturally gravitate towards that, but I've been reading from an author called Wendell Berry, and he has this book on Sabbath poems where he would, on the Sabbath day, go out and be in nature and write about things of God. And I found it really rewarding to just sort of sprinkle that into my morning quiet time. Well, after about a year of that or so, I thought, you know what, I'm going to bring that to our family devotions. So last October, we're camping over at Sunset Beach, and imagine all of us sitting around in our camp chairs on a beautiful... Uh, weekday morning camping and uh, and I decided to break out some poetry So I break out my Wendell Berry book. I'm super excited. It's a pretty short poem We have you know four-year-olds up to older people So we've got to keep it sort of age-appropriate and in the middle of my poem i'm reading away And little tate who's four years old sitting in a camp chair that's appropriate size to him uh, He just goes like this. He just goes and he falls over to the side and he's like a weeble wobble that can't get up. He just fell over. And, and I'm reading. I was a little bit of oblivious. I thought there was just kid commotion, which that doesn't faze me for a second. So I just kept on reading. Well, everyone in the circle sees Tate sitting there. And Tate, he's the youngest of nine. So he's a little bit of a prince sometimes. And, um, you know, the other ones figure out that God helps those who helps themselves. So they would have just gotten up. Tate just sat there. And then he started to go. He started to whimper. And the whole family's sitting there, I mean, how much are they listening to the poem at, at this point? Zero or 100%? Zero! They're all focused on Tate. They're all giggling and laughing. And I finally realized that Tate's next to me. I should probably be the one helping him up. Um, I don't. I continue to read the poetry, because doggone it, we're going to learn poetry and the fact that God's a poet God. And um, And so then finally we go, we help him up, and my astute daughter, she's a senior at the time, and she says, Dad... She said, I'm not sure if our family is ready for poetry during quiet time. <laughs> I agreed with her. We put away the poetry for the rest of our quiet time, that camping trip. I would, I would submit to you this, though, that if you, uh, you want to get to know God, get to know God in the language he speaks. Think about the, the, the Bible and the language of God. It is rich in metaphors. It is rich in poetry. There's ambiguity. There's songs. There's all kinds of subtlety and nuance that's going on. There's pithy sayings. There's absurd exaggeration. There's humor. There are riddles put forward. And if you don't think in those terms, if you just think in some square box way, you are going to miss much of the message of the Bible and much of the teaching of Jesus specifically. One of the favorite teaching methods of Jesus is parables. What are parables? They're stories meant to teach, they're just sort of stories on purpose. Then and now, stories really preach, don't they? the stories that we tell all have a protagonist. They all have villains and heroes. And when you think about it, people fork over pretty giant sums of money every single weekend and many weeknights to go hear stories. They're called movies. It's kind of a big industry in America. And when you watch a movie, you are hearing something that is preaching a message. I hope you are training yourself to listen to stories. And say, who are the heroes being put forward here? Who are the the enemies? Who are the ones doing wrong things? Because stories shape our worldview, don't they? Aren't you careful about what children's stories you read to to your kids? I hope you are. Aren't you careful about how you listen to the news? Because the facts can be reported in all kinds of different ways. Aren't you careful about who you listen to when they preach a sermon? Because when stories are put out, they are preaching a message. And the stories we tell and the stories we celebrate actually shape our worldview. And the truth is that sin blinds us to what's really going on. Remember a couple of weeks ago where Simon was casting himself as the gracious dinner host. And what did Jesus come along? He came along and he flipped the script. The villain of the story was actually Simon, who was not a gracious dinner guest at all. He was a proud Pharisee that was withholding welcome from the Son of God. We did a series a while ago. It's available online. I invite you to go back and listen to it But it's just looking at the red words when I was bored in church I would try to find a whole page of the bible that had nothing but red words In my home bible when I was growing up I could have told you a few pages where jesus talked a lot. It's found in john, by the way Anytime you see red words in the scripture, those are the words of jesus christ And this whole series was on the stories and sermons of jesus and At the start of this series, I said this, that Red Words wasn't a museum tour through some of the great sayings of Jesus. What wasn't going to happen in this series is that I was going to walk along, and we were going to sort of look at, at word pictures of Jesus while sipping champagne and eating brie, and I was going to point out the nuances, and we'd kind of sit there and talk about it. The Red Words series was rather us leaning into jesus and saying jesus you're not only teaching us truth by the parables you tell you're not only teaching to us and preaching to us you are actually coaching us to carry on the message aren't we the message carriers of jesus aren't we the teachers that are now left on the earth to proclaim the ways and works the heroes and villains what's going on in this world of course we are So as we look at Jesus' parables, even this morning, hear me. It's not just that we're receiving for ourselves. Jesus actively is coaching us. How do we teach this to others? How do we pass this on in a faithful, Jesus-like way? I'm pretty convinced that every person sitting in this room and listening online right now is a teacher of some sort. That the things that you hear, that you're able to pass on to other people. If you're a teacher, we have some teachers here in our midst. Of course you're a teacher. But guess what? If you're a parent, if you're a roommate, if you're a friend, if you're in a family, you have someone to teach and pass on. So as we do this, let's listen carefully and then act accordingly. Listen carefully and then act accordingly. In fact, this listen carefully and act accordingly. If you take the parable uh, (laughs) Jim. Getting my biblical authors and my best friends mixed up. If you take the message Jim preached last week, the parable of the four soils, and you take the parable that Luke intentionally lines up right on the heels of it, I think that this listen carefully and act accordingly is a really good heading for both of those. Last week it was four soils, eight sets of ears, and not a whole lot of good listening going on, right? Right? There's seed going out. The seed's the Word of God. There's people receiving it, uh, but either not for long or not at all. A lot of hearing, a lot of hard of hearing going on. We could call it this way, that there's naive hearing going on, there's shallow hearing that's going on, and there's distracted hearing going on. And then the fourth kind of soil is the good soil that receives and does and bears fruit. And that's the good God hearing that's going on. Today is a second parable driving home this point, which is to look carefully at how you listen. Follow along, Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 16. Jesus tells the parable of the four soils. Then he goes backstage to his inner circle and says, for you, I'm going to explain it. Here's what that parable meant. And then Luke puts this parable. No one after lighting a lamp verse 16, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Here is a very short little parable that teaches it 's a story that teaches it involves humorous absurdity and it 's highlighting some really basic observable realities. No one takes a light, no one takes time to light a candle and then hide it um, and and we know always that light reveals secret things. Light always wins out over darkness. This is just observable. so what Jesus says, he sort of starts with common knowledge, he starts with these things and he says. Uh, it's common knowledge that no one would do this. It's common knowledge um, that you take light and you put it in a spot where it gives maximum light for the household. As you go home tonight and turn on lights, think about where all the lights are, right? Unless it's mood lighting somehow under under here, it's all up here so it can broadcast the light in bright spots. This is common knowledge. Jesus is taking people from where they are. Come as you are. He's it's just very accessible. Everyone knows this. Yeah, okay. And then he's going to get to the point. Before getting to the point, let me just say this. As Jesus takes common knowledge, what is known to all, and sort of ropes everyone in, this is what a story does to it, sort of invites us to kind of enter in. And then he moves into spiritual realities, Most people will stop at what's common knowledge and not enter, not follow Jesus further. Come as you are, but don't stay that way. I'm taking you somewhere. I'm leading you somewhere. He's going to lead on to some spiritual realities that aren't naturally observable to us. It is naturally observable to us that light exposes hidden things. We get that. It is not naturally observable to us these spiritual truths that God's about to to put forth in the mouth of the Son, Jesus. It actually takes spiritual eyes to see, spiritual ears to hear. It takes a working of the Spirit of God to make alive what is dead in us. So as he moves into spiritual reality, this is the spiritual reality, that Jesus is the light of God, that Jesus is showing the way in life, that Jesus is exposing darkness, that nothing is secret with the light of God, and that light always dispels the dark. Listen to John three nineteen, sort of in light of this parable Jesus is telling. Jesus says this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. When you take the parables of Jesus, the sermons of Jesus, and other teachings of Jesus, and you form them together, they form this, this well orbed picture of what he's talking about. Think about after the cross how this parable takes on new meaning. The ultimate light of the world is raised up on the ultimate lampstand, the cross, and it is still causing people to recoil from it, not wanting their deeds to be seen. And it is still drawing those to do what is true and to be drawn to the light. The spiritual nugget that Jesus takes us from, common knowledge to spiritual knowledge, is found in verse 18. I think it's the nugget. It's both a call to action and it's a stern warning. Here it is again. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not... Even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Do you see why I have this title? Look at how you listen. All kinds of ways are possible to hear God's word that leads us into some bad places. Jesus was very pointed on this. I'm going to say some things right now that isn't just a made up, off the top of my head list, it is mixed with scripture and personal experience from being in the church for a lot of years. If you are listening to be spiritually entertained, repent. If you listen in hopes that it will cancel your sin for this week, repent. If you are listening and justifying every area that the light of the gospel, that the light of God's word is exposing, repent. If you listen intently only to tell others how they need to change, repent. If you listen just to criticize and point out the minuscule errors of your pastor, repent. If you are listening only to give the appearance of being interested in the things of God, repent. If we sat around here and brainstormed, could we go on? Oh yeah, we could go on. We can go on for a long time. When I just began jotting this list down, I just thought of the ways I have sat in church and listened and not been fully engaged in the conversation. As I read Scripture, it's pointedly clear that these are common ways to error as we have God's Word revealed to us. Church, look at how you listen. Jesus gives this spiritual principle. Obey what you hear, and you will hear even more. Ignore what you've been given, and even what you think you know is going to go away. That's the principle of verse 18. This is seen in the spiritual life of us all. I want you to think of a time where God has told you to do something. It may be this step of belief. It may be this step of get baptized. It may be this step of move toward this person that you naturally would want to pull away from because I, God, want to love them through you. It may be a career decision, a school decision, a relationship decision, a home life decision. But God was calling you to take a step of obedience, and you could not see the step after that. In fact, you couldn't even see all the reasons this would even make sense. The only reason you took a step is because it was crystal clear that God was saying, take a step forward. And then once you took that step forward, the very next step became evident. It became obvious to you. It wasn't evident from this vantage point. It was evident as you took a step forward and all of a sudden you said that's it I see it now And so you take a step over here The journey of the christian life is you end up at that back wall And most often read the heroes of the old testament most often it's god saying get up and leave your house abram I'll show you where you're going to go Here take a step If you don't obey that god doesn't reveal more god doesn't keep you going down that path you who are planners That's a positive way of saying you're controlling. That's the negative side of it, isn't it? Those of you who are great at planning, thank you. I personally need you. I'm not a planner. I'm a dreamer. I'm like, let's go there. How do we get there? No idea. Find the planners. But you planners hate this. This is a huge spiritual struggle for you. God's not going to necessarily map it all out. What that is, is it's the pride of saying, I'm really trusting myself and my plans, I have a great ability to plan. So I want to see it all laid out before I'll take this first step. Let me warn you, if you're early in the journey and you can just nod along with me if you're farther along in the journey, that's not how God works. God's interested in your trust. God's interested in building a relationship with you. So he will show you. I couldn't be more clear. Until you take step one, I'm going to show you step you know, two through 27. But God, I'm a planner. I need a checklist. Take step one and then it opens up. That's, that's hearing God's Word and acting on it. Let's think for a second about hearing God's Word and not acting on it, hearing something that's crystal clear and not moving on it. When you hear God's Word and you don't apply it, here's what it can do doesn't have to have all these effects, but it can make you callous because your sensitive spirit hears it. You wrestle with God, you argue with God, you procrastinate with God, and then you hear it again. And you've added a few more layers of thick skin to sort of, you know, say why you shouldn't act on it. Then you hear it again, begins to form a callous. It can also make you dull. It can also puff you up with Pride. You ever been sitting in church and we open to a text or I begin to say something and you go yep, I've heard it before I have I've probably said that in my head while i'm saying it I'm a prideful human being that needs to be humbled before the lord when you hear stuff But you don't live it you're book smart without being life smart. You know those people I've had people who know how to do certain things If you've done something for a long time and you hear someone talking and you know they've just read about it or watched a YouTube video on it, you can spot that a mile away. You're like, man, this person's never, ever done what they're talking about. They've read a book on it. Good for them. They know wikipedia.com. Hooray. When you hear stuff, but you don't act on it, it it has an ability to puff you up with pride. I think there's a particular danger in spiritual matters with this sometimes when people uh i get into conversations with people and they uh they say oh are you a christian i say yeah i'm a christian what are you and they go i'm a muslim i'm a mormon i'm a i'm an atheist i'm a whatever they give me their label i don't like to be labeled oh so your label is you don't like to be labeled got it here's a great follow-up question i'm a catholic oh are you are you practicing are you a practicing catholic do you know that I would guess, like, just finger in the wind, nine times out of ten, when someone gives me a label of what they are, and I say, are you practicing? They go, oh, no, no, no. So it's like, well, why do you call yourself a Catholic? Why do you call yourself a Muslim? Why do you call yourself this?" Well, my grandfather on my mother's side is one. Oh, okay. So, again, I'm just, I'm just piecing together sort of what, what, why they're wearing that label. Christian, let me tell you this. When someone comes and says, I'm a Christian... You know what a really great question would be to ask? Are you practicing? Because a lot of people think they're Christian because they were born in a Christian nation. Is America a Christian nation by default? I don't really see that. Not if the Bible's accurate. So here's a good question for us. You say you're a Christian, you introduce yourself. What if someone asked you that? Are you practicing? What's your answer? I'm looking around at faces I see most every week. This is a part of it. Coming to church means means you're practicing. But there's so much more than Sunday morning for an hour and 15 minutes. Are you practicing is a great question. It's this idea of saying, don't tell me what you believe, just show me. I think it's true that if you live with someone for a certain period of time, you just hung out with them for a certain period of time, you would be able to tell them what they believe. Because all of your life is your theology. You can say your theology, you can write your theology you can have a multiple choice and go, huh, I line up with this one. But the reality is, your life is a living testimony to what you believe. If your theology uh, says one thing and you live a completely different way, this, how you live, carries more weight than what you say. We all know this. Because we leak, those who don't use what they are given by God... Or those who think they can drink all the water they will need for a long, 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 long hike will realize that the things that they have, almost like spoiled manna, need to be replenished on a regular basis. Some of you are not Christians. Some of you don't read the Old Testament. You're like, what is he talking about? God gives you day to time what you need. Is that true? Yeah. Don't you wish you could sort of store up? You're like, God, I've got a free week. Let me just get all my quiet times packed into this week because I've got a busy season at work coming up. It does not work that way. Let me put this in our physical appetite terms. There are some similarities to spiritual appetite and there are some opposites. But there are some principles that are so common and accessible to us all. Wouldn't you, agree that, wouldn't you agree that food primarily isn't made to be looked at, smelled, admired, but rather to be ingested, to be eaten? The more you eat of God's word, the hungrier you become. The less that you eat of God's word, the easier it is to keep putting it off, and actually the less you'll desire to come do that. That's exactly opposite of physical. Some of you right now are probably thinking, I am hungry, hurry up. When you eat when you're physically, the more you eat, the less you want food, right? At some point, you're like, I'm stuffed. You put it away. Even if someone brought you your favorite, most expensive meal, you'd be like, I can't touch it. It doesn't even look good to me right now. It's exactly opposite with the word of God. I had someone dear to me. We were talking about just kind of where we're at spiritually. And I said, man, I've been in this sort of pattern of just sort of pulling away and not finding time and and all of that. And this principle was explained to me by this person. Just saying, boy, the, the, the more I've stepped away, the, the, the less I've wanted to step in and begin to re-engage. The key to gaining more is to listen what to, and be, be a trustworthy steward with what God has already given to you. So if you want it in three words, it's this. Obedience is key. Obedience is key. Good hearing is the kind of hearing that acts You know, one of the things I love about my job and I hate about my job is this. People are always, always asking for my time. Digitally, they're asking for my time, and physically, they're asking for my time. I love that. I also hate it sometimes. There are people who have written me long, lengthy um, emails about the theology of this church. There are people who have uh, wanted to meet with me and and to, to discuss and debate different things. Let me tell you the story of two different people, and it will give you just sort of a snapshot of how I'm trying to live this passage out. I think early on, I was foolish with my time. If you asked for my time and you wanted to argue, debate, dialogue, go in deep with all kinds of things, I would have said, great, one and all, come. And what I realized was that some people love to just get together and debate and dialogue and argue and talk. Talk, 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 talk. I'm a talker, and I still hate that. So people would come to me and want to ask things. Let me tell you about Jesse. The names have been changed to protect the not so innocent. Jesse was rough around the edges. Jesse didn't know much. Jesse was very abrasive. But Jesse did the one small thing that we would talk about spiritually whenever we met. And then when we'd come and meet again, he would tell me about how he put into practice what he was learning from the Bible. Then he would do it again. Then he would do it again. Then he would do it again. Steve wanted to meet, study, discuss, debate, delay, and ultimately ignore what God was saying. Steve took great amounts of my time and energy. Steve welled up frustration things in me that I didn't even know I had. I kept meeting with Jesse. I stopped meeting with Steve. Do you know why? Because I think I have the potential in my position, to actually help train people away from Jesus. I think I help train people away from Jesus if I continue to enable them to put off what they're hearing very clearly by talking about it some more, debating about it some more. If I continue to strain out gnats in the text and allow this person to swallow camels in their life, if you don't know what that means, God's poetic, go figure it out it's in the Bible, then I am enabling them to actually stay far away from Jesus. Now, I flip that around to my own self. I can internally debate with God. It's not clear. It is clear I'm fearful. It is clear I have my own agenda. Take the one small thing that God's given to you and do it. Don't ask questions. Live in Obedience. Look at how you listen in another setting. Let's take the pre-flight safety message. If something is required by federal law and it contains information that could save your life, why do so few people on an airplane listen when the person is giving the directions? Here's, here's a stab. I think it's because we are lulled into thinking we will never need to find the nearest exit, even if it's located behind us. Anyone in this room ever been in a plane crash? Raise your hand if you have. I'm not raising my hand because I've done it. I'm just doing it as an example. No one. So we are lulled into thinking plane crashes don't happen. Do they happen? Yes. Here's another one. I think we're confident that we will figure out the life vest and the oxygen mask when it's needed. So we will continue to watch our thing, read our thing, look out the window, talk to the person next to us, blah, 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 while the person's up front. We're also pridefully certain that we have heard all of this before and that we know how the seatbelt works. Finally, it's boring. I mean, Southwest finally figured out that if you make people laugh, they'll at least engage with it. I'm not sure if they're listening to the message anymore, but they're at least putting down their book to sort of figure out what's going on. Now, let me flip the script for a second. What if you absolutely knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that you were going to make an emergency landing on this flight? Think of how you would listen to that pre-flight announcement. Someone's talking next to you. You're listening carefully. Wait, how do the doors work on the exit row? Who's even sitting there? How do we know they're capable and willing and and going to do what they're supposed to do at the exit doors? And when the flight attendant says, well, we asked them. You say, you asked them? Did you interview them? Did you check them out? Have they Are they able to lift that door? Show me that safety position again. Can we role play? Like, let's take some time and figure this thing out. If you knew you were gonna crash, you would listen in a different way. Turning your Bibles to James 121 for a moment. We listen differently if we think that we are going to use the information that we have again soon. It comes down to trust. If this is genuinely God speaking, I heard someone say once time, if you want to hear God speak audibly, read the Bible aloud. You will hear God speak audibly. If we believe this is God's word, Then we stop what we're doing. We give our undivided attention to it. We pull out a notepad and paper or an iPad and stylus and we jot down what we hear. Then we think about what we've heard. Then we put a plan of action to say, how do I live out what God just told me to do? James chapter 121. We'll get there in one second. Pay attention to how you hear the word of God because of this. You, friends, are able to be self-deceived. You are forgetful. You get distracted. You are proud. You think it ends with knowing the right thing to do instead of doing the right thing. How do I know? Because God told me that. James 1, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. A doer who acts is blessed in the doing. The blessed life is the life of obedience. If you feel like you've heard a famous preacher say this before, it's because a few weeks ago, Jesus said this in Luke 6.46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? I'm a Christian. Are you practicing? Oh, no. Then he goes on to say this. He says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. And he begins to talk about a house that's built on solid rock, a firm foundation. And then he goes on to say, but the one who hears and does not do them is like. And he goes on to talk about a person who's built his house on a sand. When the storms come, one house stands, one house doesn't. What's the difference? It's the one who's done and obeyed what they've heard. That's the only difference. Obedience is the key that unlocks all of life. It's really all God wants from us. How do you get saved? You obey. You trust. And it goes on from there. We're going to look at the next few verses in Luke. And what's happening here is that Luke is recording a moment that Jesus uses that actually illustrates exactly what these two parables are pointing to that you better look carefully at how you listen. Verse 19 of Luke 8 says this, Then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. Why? Jesus is on tour, right? So Jesus is backstage, Jesus is on tour, there's lots of people, mother and brothers show up. And when he, Jesus, was told, your mother and brothers are standing outside desiring to see you, it says, but he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. My mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Do you hear obedience written all through this? Do you see Jesus saying and living out, even in his most intimate circles, what he's been preaching all along? So Jesus isn't dishonoring his family, he's honoring those who obey. Obeying Jesus, obeying God's word, changes your loyalties. I think it'd be fascinating this week, if your group isn't on break for this summer, um, then share around the group as, 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 a, as a community group. If not, find a friend and just ask this. Say, how did becoming a Christian change your loyalties? I think we all have a story there. God is forming a new family around those who obey his word. It's a family that will last forever. I've said this before, but if you are unmarried in our midst, I would implore you by the word of God, marry within the family. Marry your spiritual brothers and sisters. And if you want to know who to marry, here's what you should do. You should read and study God's word. You should find out how he wants you to live. You should run hard after that. And then you should repeat the process. Keep running hard. Keep running hard. Keep running hard. After a period of time, you look to your left. You look to your right. And if there are any people of the opposite gender running along with you, there's your pool of who to build a life with. Marry one of them. You lean into what God wants you to do. You live how God wants you to live. You will leave a massive pack of people behind you that you do not want to build a life with. I thank God every day I got married a few moments after I turned 23. I thank God every single day that His wisdom was greater than my wisdom. I was not smart enough to pick Becky out from a lot of other women. But I tell you what, we were both serving, we both got to know each other in the context of running hard after Jesus Christ, looking to our left and right and realizing there's a relatively small pool of people. Narrow is the road that leads to life and few ever find it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, that you put me with someone who's on the narrow road and not running hard on the broad road. God's word, read and obeyed, is creating a different kind of family. The Routons gave us these shirts. Our whole family has this shirt. Becky was wearing it yesterday. It says, family is more than blood. Family is more than blood works with both physical adoption and with our spiritual adoption. It is awesome every single week to be a part of a church family that speaks different languages, has different values, has different locations of where they live, and yet we are united because we're in the family of God. Obeying God's word changes loyalties, and forms new partnerships. I had lunch with Dr. Brad this week. Dr. Brad is the guy who runs Hitland. He's a dentist by day and a, and a really an evangelist um, by night and by weekend. And um, Dr. Brad and his crew uh, were up Memorial Day in Vacaville. Now, Brad is a He's kind of the opposite of what you would envision if you go, What does a successful inner city rapper look like? Okay, now think of the opposite. That's Dr. Brad. And yet, Dr. Brad is part of a crew um, that they call themselves the Neighborhood Hope Dealers, and they bring Jesus to the city. Here's a video from Memorial Day weekend. Listen, I need audio. Louder, Greg. Can you crank it up on the, on the computer? neighborhood, hope dealer, Hope dealer. We neighborhood, hope, dealers, hope dealer. neighborhood, hope dealers, hope dealer. neighborhood, dealers, neighborhood. All right, that was Vacaville Memorial Day. Um, what happens with the word of God is that new and partnerships, you do not want Dr. Brad on the mic up there doing that. I'm sure, I'm, I'm certain of it. Uh, but, but what happens is uh, new partnerships form. Here's what's really cool. Keep the audio up. Look who's part of the team. There he is. That's Les Albert, friends. Yeah. Now, I've never quizzed him on... can't rap all that well. Uh, but what I know of Les is this. Les is a hard-working servant of Jesus Christ who loves people and loves Jesus. And so he's now a part of his eternal homie crew, and they get together. This must look absurd to the good people of Vacaville as the word of God is wrapped to them in a language they can understand. I wish you had the audio because there's some cool just straight-ahead gospel preaching going on in the rap that's happening. But when I saw this, uh, and I have Les's permission, by the way. I told him I was going to poke some fun at him. When I saw this, in light of this text, I thought, God, that's it. Who gets close to Jesus? It's those who obey your word. Obedience forms absurd and unlikely partnerships. Here's the other beauty of this. The light of God wins out over darkness and reveals secret things. You know what the lampstand is in this little system? It's the PA system. And Brad is driving the truck. Brad is driving this thing to broadcast the light of God's word, the hope that we can have in Jesus Christ, right to the people who are showing up at a Memorial Day parade. This weekend, by the way, I ask you to pray over the 4th of July, Les and the crew will spend giant amounts of energy and effort to be in Benicia and Fairfield doing parades, broadcasting the truth of Jesus Christ. You know what's wacky about this? For the last several years, Brad and the Hitland float win the parade. They keep winning parades. The last thing on their heart was like, God, let let me get saved so I can win parades on Memorial Day. They keep winning because there's something attractive that people can't put their finger on. What they're attracted to, friends, is Jesus. They're attracted to see these people. Most of the people in Brad's crew are people who used to be the the neighborhood dope dealer or they knew that person well. And Jesus, as we sang earlier, rescued them. He's the hope of sinners. And now they can't help but broadcast that to whoever will listen. You know, people often focus on sinful behaviors, but there are sinful relationships as well. They're sinful partnerships that people enter into, and those partnerships are wicked, and what happens is all kinds of sinful behaviors and thoughts emerge out of those relationships. God cares who you partner with. Just listen to 2 Corinthians 6.14. You can write that down and check it later. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says this, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Goes on to say, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Listen to me for a second. If you have people around you who are committed to reading, understanding, and obeying God's word, and you call them friends, keep Getting close to them. Keep nurturing those relationships and thank God every day for them. These are gem of relationships. These are people worth being thanked. These are worth people uh, being called out. They're rare. They're valuable. They're to be guarded. These are the people that will help you live a God-inspired life. Easy to take those for granted sometimes. If I were to ask you, how do you get close to Jesus, how would you answer that? I think apart from this text staring at me in my face, I might give some of these answers. Prayer, Bible reading, church attendance, spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices, being out in God's creation. Maybe some would say a powerful worship experience, a powerful prayer experience. Jesus gives this answer when people are saying, hey, Your family is here. They want backstage passes to see you. And Jesus gives this clear. And you know who gets backstage passes? You know who gets close to me? It's those who hear and do what I say. That's it. Again, not dissing his family. He's highlighting how to get close to Jesus is to do what he says. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you six things. I'm going to rattle through them fairly quickly. But this is the role that obedience has in life. It's massive. Number one is this. It proves that you know Jesus. 1 John 2. By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Number two, obedience proves that you love Jesus. From Jesus' own mouth, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's pretty clear. Number three. Obedience is better than all man-made effort to get close to God. This story in 1 Samuel 15 culminates with this. Obedience is better than sacrifice. I would say for the modern listener, obedience is better than your spiritual Bible reading and devotion time. It's better than your church attendance. It's better than the homeless ministry outreach gold star attendance thing that you might have in your mind. You don't work your way close to Jesus. You obey your way close to Jesus. You walk with him. Number four, obedience prevents the devastating and pervasive death that sin brings. Romans 5 says this, For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. If you don't have these and didn't get them, you can come see me after. But here's two more. Number five, obedience involves ongoing struggle and effort. In fact, I'll just post this on Slack. There's a little tip to get on Slack if you're not on there. Obedience involves ongoing struggle and effort. 2 Corinthians 7 says this, Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body and spirit and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. We don't work our way to God, but we work in concert with God and we do our part, like a hard-working farmer, we plant seeds, we till soil, we pull the weeds, we tend to the harvest. God sends the rain, God creates the miracle of growth. First Corinthians 9 gives this picture of an athlete that we discipline our bodies. Lastly, obedience leads to the rich blessing of God, you and your children. Psalm I mean, Isaiah 48 is a heartbreaking passage that says this: "Oh that you had paid attention to my commandments. Young people, you don't want to get to the end of your life and think to yourself, I wish I listened. I wish I had paid attention. Those of us who are further down the road, let me say this. Today is the day to pay attention to his commands. We're not called to sit and live in regret with all the things. Forgetting what lies ahead, let's press on. So today, begin paying attention if you haven't been paying attention. I want to invite the worship team to come on up. We're going to sing a couple of songs that highlight the scriptures. I might invite you to open up to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, if you don't know, is the longest chapter in the Bible. But that's not what makes it spectacular. What makes it spectacular is this: this is a psalmist writing, pouring out emotion, pouring out passion for the law of the Lord, thanking God delighting in the fact that it it lights the way far from being something that holds you prisoner the word of god sets you free maybe you'll just have psalm 119 open on your lap as we sing these next couple of songs back to the lord as we do i ask these two questions how is your hearing how's your hearing many of you show up at church week after week Many of you listen well, I know it, because you come and you tell me sort of what God's been doing with what God's been giving to you, not just on Sunday, but through your week. James one twenty two says this, don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says, otherwise you're only fooling yourselves. Lastly, are you close to Jesus? There's a danger in hearing things and hearing it again and being like, I know that, without putting it into practice. All obedience starts with good listening. Jesus summed up some powerful truth with this. People asked him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? That's a really great question. Here's his answer. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Jesus, thank you for giving us ears to hear. Would you unclog our ears that we would hear you even more? God, would you delight in seeing your children walk in obedience because they've been listening carefully. God, I thank you for the people in this room, the people that will attend next service, and in the service last night and the service after that, that are giving evidence by their life that they're listening carefully to your word.